The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. Thank you for listening. For more information on Story City, you can find us online at storycitychurch.com or on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Story City Church. Uh, my name is Eric. I'm going to be reading the word for you guys this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand up. Uh, and after I'm done, I'm going to say, this is the word of God, and I invite you to respond. Thanks be to God. All right. This is Ephesians verse 11 through verse 16. It goes, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip all the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. And him the whole body, for him, from, goodness, from him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the popular working, by the proper working of each individual part. This is the word of God. Thank you. All right. So, uh, yeah. So, I, if if I'm not hanging out today, I apologize. I'm not trying to be antisocial. I'm trying to love you by not get you sick with this weird, weird thing that's not COVID. So, uh, but there has been four negative tests. So, in case some of you are like, "Are you sure?" Yes, I am a thousand percent sure because I kept going. Wait, I, really? Are you sure? Uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, hey, we're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Uh, it's it's an exciting time. It's a beautiful day. It's Super Bowl Sunday. Clearly, all of you here, like me, couldn't afford Super Bowl tickets. So, um, <laughs> anyway, hey, we're gonna uh, we're gonna pray this morning. If you've been with us for any length of time, you know that this year we've started off the sermons by spending some time in prayer. And uh, I've got uh, we're gonna pray for our neighborhood, and I want to pray for the condos and apartments that are around us. But before we do that, I want to pray for a friend of ours named Roxy. Roxy's. Uh, one of our people here at our church, she's a single mom who has stage four cancer. She just found out. And so um, we're just going to stop and we're talking about spiritual gifts. We're just going to pray for her and ask that God would do something miraculous. Would you join me, please? Father God, we just, um, Lord, we thank you because you are good. You are righteous. You are holy. You are wonderful. You are kind. Lord, those things are easy things to say when everything is going well. But Father, when we face circumstances where we have to face the reality of your goodness in comparison to the evil and the brokenness that this world has to offer, Lord, sometimes it's difficult to reconcile the two. We thank you that you're not afraid of that, that you know that, that you understand that, and And Lord, this is just a hard one. Our hearts are broken this morning. And so Lord, we just come before you as uh, your body of believers and we stand with our sister Roxy and we, Lord, we thank you that she loves you. We thank you for the miraculous way that you brought her to know you. We thank you for her daughter and the way that she has loved her daughter and and, uh, helped her daughter to know who you are as well. Lord, in the midst of this, we know that you are Jehovah Rapha, that you are the God who heals. And, and while sometimes that healing can be, Lord, spiritual healing and it can be emotional healing, in this case, we specifically ask for your physical healing. 
that you would remove the cancer from Roxy's body. Lord, whether you choose to do that through uh, modern medicine and, and bring this into remission or you choose to do something miraculous, we ask that you would do, uh, Lord, all of this would be miraculous in the healing of her. And so we pray that this would be all are done, that you would heal her body, that you would remove the cancer completely, and that this would be, Lord, a testimony, not only to, um, Lord, your, your continued goodness, but to your miraculous um, ability to, to heal, your miraculous ability to, Lord, restore. We know that you are a God of restoration and healing. And so, Father, we trust you with her. In the midst of this, though, we acknowledge that you are good. And that we know that no matter what we choose, that your way is always best and you will always do what is best for us and for your kingdom, even if it doesn't look like what we want. And so we acknowledge your good. We ask for you to do the miraculous and we thank you for your outcomes in the name of Jesus. And Father, for our community around us, we just specifically lift up by name the Avalon Apartments, the Oakwood Corporate Housing, Burbank Village Walk, Burbank Senior Arts Colony, the Belmont Senior Living, and even for our brothers and sisters who are in the parking garage next door. Lord God, we just ask that you would be Lord over their relationships, that you'd protect them. Father, we know that Super Bowl Sunday, Lord, is one of the highest days of domestic violence. Uh, We know that that kicks off on uh, Super Bowl Sunday. We also know it's a day where uh, there's a lot of births after Super Bowl Sunday. And so we just ask that, Lord, you would be Lord of all these relationships, that you would just protect and watch over, that you would, Lord, be in the midst of, that you would allow there to be peace and calm, that you would uh, be God in, in these relationships, that you would speak into these, that you would bring, again, just safety here to these places in particular. Father, we pray for work. Lord, this has been a difficult time for people to find the right work and to find work that suits what they're uh, trying to do and where they're going. And so we just ask that you would create jobs, that you would allow the people and the apartments and condos around us and the senior living places to have, Lord, uh, a place where they know their value is not determined by their work, but that they're um, satisfied in you through the work that you give them. And so would you allow them to have the work that they need and have the work that they desire? Father, you call us to rest, that in the midst of our work that you call us to be people who take time to rest. And Lord, we're so bad at that. We don't take time to slow down. We don't take time to just stop and to listen. And even when we do, we usually fill it with other things. And so would you allow those in, uh, Father, in the Avalon Apartments, in Oakwood, in the Burbank Village Walk, in the Senior Arts Colony, in the Senior Living Place here in Belmont, would you allow them to find true rest in you? And Lord, we pray that you'd help Uh, the creativity to flow, that you allow, this is such a creative town, that you would allow there to be true creativity coming from these places, that, that Father, you would help their minds and bodies work. Uh, You are the God of creativity. You were creative in the way that you designed this world and the way that you designed people and humanity um, and animals and just the world around us. And so we ask that you would help us to be creative like you. And Father, last, we pray for care that they would be cared for. Lord, I pray as a, as a family church here that we would find ways to, to love and care for those around us, that we would listen well to the needs of our community, that we would never come in and say, here's what we have to offer without truly understanding and knowing what those needs are. I thank you that you are a God who is the one that cares for us, and so would we be a people who cares for others? Lord, even at great cost to ourselves, would you help us to be people who care? We love you and thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining me in praying for our community. It's a good thing. I appreciate it. I'm glad 
we got to do it. It's time to get to our discussion question for the day, our minute to mingle question for the day. So does your job determine who you are? Who thought that was an easy question? No one. Okay, one, one person. Okay, good. You guys took it seriously. All right, so what's the answer? Yes or no? No. It's, ah, okay. There's somebody not trying to shout out the Christian answer. That's... It's a, <laughs> I changed my answer, go with hers. That's fantastic. I love it. Yeah, it, we all know it shouldn't, but the truth is that it, it does sometimes, does it not? I mean, the reality is, is we say, no, 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 my job doesn't define who I am, but what's the first thing we ask somebody when we meet them? What do you do? What's the first thing we bring up in conversation? We talk about what we do, right? It's a way that we define ourselves. It's actually a way that we help figure out where other people are in relation to us. Oh, you're, a, you're in the industry. Cool. What do you do? Because <laughs> I want to know where I fall in line with you. What is your experience? Even if you do the same job, well, how long? What have you done, right? We, we, it, it becomes a measuring tool for us. It's really interesting. We decide, no, no, no. We want to say, no, it doesn't define me at all. And yet so often, I think it does. Now, getting into that Deeper is, is a whole different sermon for another day. But I want us to be thinking about this in the back of our minds for we're talking about spiritual gifts. Because one of the things we've been talking about, we've been talking about gifts that are abused, gifts that are uh, misused. And oftentimes it's because people wrap their identity around the gifts. Or when spiritual gifts are misused, it's because people are loving the gifts more than they're loving the author and giver of those gifts. And so just like work, where work can become our identity, but it shouldn't be, the gifts can become something that we value instead of the one who gives the gifts, which is our God. And so just keep that in the back of your mind when we're talking about this today. I think it's important for us to just kind of rest in that foundation that, that the gifts don't define us, that these spiritual gifts are not who, who we are. They're, they're actually not even something for us. The spiritual gifts are actually not something even for us. Therefore, God's work for the people around us. I think it's important for us to remember. All right, well, thanks for playing that today. I appreciate it. Some of you guys are still gonna have that conversation on the way home. That's great. I'm glad. But uh, all right, you heard from our passage in Ephesians chapter four today. So let's back up a few books to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And so if you go ahead and open your Bibles there, both, for, both Ephesians and 1 Corinthians are in the New Covenant or the New Testament. If you open your Bible to the middle, that's the Psalms. And uh, if you keep going forward, you'll get to the New Testament or New Covenant, which starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you keep going a couple more books after that, you'll get to the book of 1 Corinthians. For those of you new to the Bible, the Bible is divided into two parts. That is the Old Covenant or Old Testament and New Covenant, New Testament. Jesus has always existed. He's always been God. Uh, but he entered into humanity by taking on human nature in addition to his God nature. So he was always God, but he put on human nature in addition, and he's born into humanity. That's what starts off the new covenant of the New Testament. And so uh, why that was needed was because we, uh, in the beginning, were created by God. We had a, uh, a relationship with God, but we traded that relationship with God for a covenant or a contract with Satan that made us slaves to sin and death. 
that was a bad thing. God did not want that for us. And so God had a way to redeem us. And by entering into human history, by taking on humanity, uh, Jesus purchased us in a new contract, a new covenant through his death and resurrection by his blood. And in that new covenant and contract, we become uh, followers or apprentices of Jesus by entering into that contract. And, uh, and we sign on to be servants of his instead of servants to sin and death. But here's the incredible thing. Jesus doesn't leave us as servants. The Bible says that the Father actually adopts us into his family and we become sons and daughters of the living God. That's incredible. That even though we deserve none of this, that the God of all the universe brings us in. It doesn't just leave us in this, in this weird contract where we're slaves. He actually brings us to this place where we are sons and daughters of the living God. That's incredible. And then that's the gospel, that God himself has come to rescue and renew all creation through the person and work of Jesus. Now, the Bible is a story about God. It's not a story about us. One of the worst things I've ever heard is that it's uh, basic instructions before leaving earth. Bible. That's terrible. That's not what it is. This is the word of God. It's a love story, a love story about God who loves us, but it's about, it's about Jesus as the hero of that love story and what he did to rescue us. We are not the heroes or the focus or the object of the Bible. And so it's not something, it's not a tool that we use. It's, it's, a, it's the words of God meant to point us to Jesus. Now, as a little background for those of you who are joining us uh, this Sunday for the first time in a while, or for the first time, we have been learning together how God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have been communicating to humans throughout history as a part of this redemptive plan. And, uh, and God using his people to, uh, to accomplish his mission, his will on earth. And so the Bible says that God empowers his church, empowers us to do his will, to uh, model who Jesus is, how he loves, to point back to God, to bring glory to God. That was Jesus's purpose. And so that's our purpose is to continue to do the work that he started, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But God just doesn't leave us on our own. He actually allows the Holy Spirit, brings the Holy Spirit into us. Every single person who becomes an apprentice of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. Don't let people get you confused. That's baptism of the Holy Spirit. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is not separate. Every single person who becomes an apprentice of Jesus is baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every single person who becomes an apprentice of Jesus gets the Holy Spirit. We, uh, and, and every one of us gets it at the moment of our salvation. And, um, and each of us then is given a gift by the Holy Spirit to empower us to do that work. Okay. So the Holy Spirit gives at least one supernatural gift or ability to carry out God's mission. So let's go to 1 Corinthians, keeping in mind Ephesians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 to 31 says this. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, next miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, leading, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts and I will show you an even better way. What are the greater gifts? Well, he just laid it out. Here first, the apostles, then prophecy, right? He, he lays it out going into those things. And I guess the tongues last. Why? Because there's a whole thing going on in the church of Corinth and he's trying to fix it. In fact, that's a great reminder for us that Paul is actually responding to a letter that the Corinthians have written him. There's actually a couple letters that have gone back and forth and the Corinthians are confused. 
They are frustrated. The church is messed up. And Paul is trying to correct both wrong doctrine and bad habits that are happening in the church and saying, hey, you guys need to bring this under control. Here is exactly what scripture says and how you need to do this. And I'm helping you understand so you know how to use the gifts that God has given you. And so let's compare those two passages today because it'll help us understand how God is addressing this or how Paul is addressing this issue in the name of the Lord. And so you see when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he simply lays it out. Verse 11, and he himself, talking about Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. We shorten that to apest. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. Apest. Not as somebody said this morning, apest. But the acronym A-P-E-S-T, a pest. Okay. Now, Paul simply says, here's these gifts in this particular order, and then he tells us what these gifts are for. Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This is what the gifts are for, to equip the saints. Remember I said a minute ago that the, the gifts actually aren't for us. They're to build up the body of Christ. So they're to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ. And then it says, verse 13, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. And so Paul says, look, here's what the gifts are for. Therefore, the work of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. And what they will do for us, it's to help us to reach unity in faith because that doesn't come naturally. It's something we have to work at. And help us to understand the knowledge of God's Son so it points to Jesus. And it will help us to grow into maturity. And what is the measurement of that? Well, we compare that to Jesus and, uh, and the fullness of who Christ is. Well, we're not gonna measure up to that. And so we know that we have to keep growing and moving into maturity. And that's the beauty of it. That's what the gifts help us to do, right? It's a process. In verse 14, he says, the outcome is that we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. Even then, there was all kinds of people who were happy to tell you uh, about things that are of the church or things that are of the Bible that actually aren't in the Bible, still happens today. You see it sometimes on TV on Sunday mornings. And then he makes this statement. He's like, but look, I'm speaking the truth in love here. Let us grow in every way in him who is the head Christ. And so he lays out verse 15 by reminding us it's not about us. This is why he says, I'm speaking the truth in love. That's like a, hey guys, it's a Geneva convention. All right. I say with all due respect. Okay. That's what he's saying. He's saying like, look, I, I know this is hard, but, but listen, you guys got to grow up here. You got to grow up here. You can't keep acting like this. I'm trying to help you understand. Knock it off. Which, by the way, if you've never been a junior high pastor, that's 99% of your job. (laughs) Knock it off. You're a good junior high pastor. Okay. And so the, the Corinthians must focus on growing up into maturity in Jesus. Now, verse 16 goes on to remind us that we can't do these things in our power because the gifts are not things that we own. We do not own our gifts. They are given by God and they are to be used as God gives us, but we don't wield them like a sword. We don't have ownership of them. God will use them inside of us, but it is God doing the thing and not us. And so that we are only unified and rightly working when we are working rightly from the power of Christ in the body of Christ. You'll never see the gifts or you should not see the gifts being used as some sort of lone ranger off doing his own thing um, and claiming to be, you know, some, somebody with some title because that's not how this works. This works in the context of the church. That's what it's supposed to do. So we see this verse 16, from him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, that would be each of us, 
right? Promotes the growth of the body. And so this is about inward focusing. This is saying that we grow for building itself up in love by the proper working. Those are the gifts of each individual part. Now, when you contrast the Ephesians part with the, the, uh, the Corinthians part, again, listen, verse 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing? You can hear the sarcasm. Like, he's like, guys, does everybody all these things? No, of course not. Like, do all interpret, but desire the greater gifts, and I'll show you each a better way. The church in Corinth was absolutely confused. They're in chaos. They're running amok, right? It seems like they weren't even sure what the gifts are, or who was supposed to have them, or how you're supposed to use them. And uh, in fact, Paul seems to spend an inordinate amount of time talking about tongues and prophecy. I think he was like, hey, look, if we actually focused on these apest gifts, you wouldn't be in this problem because you'd have people who were teaching you appropriately and we wouldn't be in this mess. And so would you focus on the gifts that are important right now because you guys are all trying to speak in tongues and it's not actually helping anybody. It's actually creating more problems. If you want to know more about our stance on tongues, what we talked about, I did address it a couple weeks ago and I recommend you going back and listening to that. It'll help you understand what I'm talking about there. Now, today we, we're talking about these gifts and some of you might be like, well, that's great, but what the heck does it have to do with me? I have no idea. Um, no, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I do. I, or I wouldn't be up here teaching you. But it was fun for just a moment. <laughs> Look, um, these gifts are for us, and, and you're going you're gonna to hear and understand why. But I think there's two things to help us understand. And first is what we need to break down is the difference between a spiritual gift and a spiritual responsibility. We need to break down the difference between a spiritual gift and a spiritual responsibility. And then we have to learn how to recognize these gifts in us and in others so we can help develop our gifts or help others and encourage them to develop their gifts. Now, having a gift and not realizing it, this is some of us. Some of us here have gifts and don't realize it. Having a gift and not realizing it is serious. It's like being a southern slave who was declared free in January 1863 but did not find out until June 1865. It's like winning the lottery but accidentally throwing away the ticket and finding out when it's too late. It's information that not just changes your life but it changes the way you live. By the way, that's exactly why we should be celebrating Juneteenth with our black brothers and sisters. It's an incredible, incredible moment of independence and freedom and we need to remember that but that's a sermon for another day. It is Black History Month, yes. Thank you for reminding me, yes. But these gifts, uh, the reason that they end up being controversial is because they're so often likely to be abused. Why are they abused? Because the ability of these gifts to be abused because people can take them out of context and use them for their own uh, um, glory, their own um, name. And so it's important for us to understand why and how they're used. So once again, we're going to lay down some ground rules as we discuss how the gifts are to be used. You might have heard this before. I'm going to say it again this week. There is a difference between a gift and an office. There's a difference between a gift and an office. Now, I like to describe this as big and little. Big and little. We used to have big A apostles. We used to have big P prophets, big E evangelists, shepherds, teachers, and and the like. Now, in the Old Covenant... The big P prophets wrote scriptures and spoke directly for God. Now, why don't we have those anymore? 
Because we have access to the Holy Spirit in each one of us now. We don't need that any longer. And actually, I'm going to explain why even more. Jesus is the fulfillment of that in just a second. And so we don't need that any longer. The same in the New Covenant. We have the big A apostles, including Paul, who came after Jesus' death and resurrection. Now consider the words of the apostle Peter, one of Jesus' close friends and co-workers. 2 Peter 3.2 says this, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets and the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. Okay, so the commands of God are given through their apostles. And a little further down, 2 Peter 3, 15 to 16. Peter here is talking, he says, also regard the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. He speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some things hard to understand in them. Clearly he wrote, he read Romans. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of scriptures. So Peter, who is called and affirmed by Jesus, says the apostles' words are equal to scripture, meaning the Old Testament or Old Covenant, and he includes Paul in that statement. He says Paul's writings are scripture. But once again, we know that no new scriptures are being written, that the canon is closed, meaning we do not accept any further writings or new teachings as the revealed word of God. So we don't have big A apostles anymore, but Jesus is our A-P-E-S-T. He is our apostle, our big A apostle. Hebrews 3.1 says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is the ultimate pioneer, missionary, messenger, and sent one. He is our prophet. Deuteronomy 18.15 says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. After Jesus gave the people bread in the wilderness, as Moses did, John connected the dots for us. In John 6, 14, it says, when the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus is our evangelist. When Jesus took the scroll in the synagogue at Nazareth, he read Isaiah 61, 1, which says, the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom the prisoners. If John's gospel presents Jesus as anything in his conversations, it presents him as an evangelist. Jesus is our shepherd. Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for our sheep, and Peter calls him our chief shepherd in 1 Peter 5, 4. He is teacher. Matthew 5, 2 writes, then he began to teach them, saying, the apostle John also records, the servants answered, no man has ever spoke like this in seven, John seven forty six. But you'll notice that in Ephesians and 1 Corinthians, these are still listed as spiritual gifts and not offices that Jesus fulfills. So Jesus is our big A apostle, prophet, evangelism, shepherd, teacher, but we still have spiritual gifts which are small a, a pest. You guys with me so far? Okay. So what does a person who has one of these small A-P-E-S-T gifts do? If you're taking notes today, this is our second and final observation for the day. The A-P-E-S-T gifts are specifically for strengthening, building, and equipping Christians for ministry. Strengthening, building, and equipping Christians for ministry. For B, helping the church to grow in unity knowledge and maturity in Jesus to grow in unity knowledge and maturity in Jesus and lastly to bring bless you glory and fame to God 
That's what glory means. Glory means fame. Bring fame to God. Bring recognition to bring value, to bring worth, to worship, to ascribe value to him, to bring that to him, to bring glory to God. This is what it does. This is what people with these gifts help the body of Christ to do. If you remember from the previous weeks, all gifts are to bring glory to God and to build up the church. But these apex gifts in particular are more inwardly focused. If you notice, they are really for this particular work of helping the church become something that it's supposed to do. See, all of us are called to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers in some way. Just because you don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism doesn't mean you don't get to tell people about Jesus, right? If your kids come to you and they say, hey, will you tell me about Jesus? You don't get to say, look, sorry, I don't really have the gift of teaching, but uh, God invented YouTube, so there you go. Uh, you know, have fun. Can you, can you imagine, like, your kids are like, I don't know how to tie my shoes. And you're like, yeah, there's YouTube. Like, you know, figure it out, right? Um, God did invent YouTube, by the way. You know how I know? Because he didn't invent TikTok. You know how I know he didn't invent TikTok? Because TikTok steals so much of my time, only Satan could have invented TikTok. Okay, when the APAS gifts are given as spiritual gifts, they are for the purpose of helping the church body learn how to use the gifts that they have been given. And so what do they look like? I love the way my friend Peyton Jones talks about this. He describes it as a fist, as a fist. And, and, and he writes this. He writes, if you have a small A apostle leadership gift, you're like the entrepreneur of the spiritual world. You have a bit of each of the gifts, and while you can operate in any of them for a while, you're not really good in any one gift for any specific length of time. You're great at seeing where ministry needs to be focused, and you tend to almost accidentally start ministries because people just sort of rally around you to those needs. These uh, uh, small-A apostles are constantly pushing the church outwards into their community. A small A apostle is best used to gather a team and model and encourage them to live out their gifts while helping them model those gifts for others. They tend to have strong leadership gifts and are often church planters. The small A apostle is at their best when they're catalyzing the other gifts to unity and action. Again, they're they're the ones that are good at a little bit of each of these uh, gifts, but they're not phenomenal in any one of them. Uh, Or if they stay too long of them, then they they end up kind of um, wrecking things or petering out because they're not meant to stay in that gift. They can do it for a season, but they're not supposed to stay there. They're supposed to catalyze other to those things. Um, You'll know this is a spiritual gift and not a natural talent or ability if this works best in a ministry contest, but it sort of like doesn't quite translate to the secular world. If you have a strong natural gift of entrepreneurship uh, and and that works all the time, that's probably a natural ability, not a spiritual gift. The prophetic type leader is concerned with hearing from God, be it collectively or prophetically. They're concerned that people aren't just playing church, but meeting with God. They tend to walk in the supernatural a bit more than average, bringing God into the church as a reality rather than an idea. Like the Old Testament prophets, they're the index figure always pointing people back to Jesus. (coughs) Sometimes they can be really harsh, right? (coughs) Excuse me, that's the prophet. They're just kind of like finger-wagging sometimes, but it's just about this like, stop playing church. You guys need to be more convicted. You need to get this. The evangelistic type leader does the opposite of the apostle. Rather than motivating the church to go out, the evangelist compels the church to bring people in. They are the middle finger 
This is Peyton Jones writing. You can take it up with him. But it's because they are bringing the scandal of the cross and the offense of the gospel before people's eyes. The shepherd leader is consumed with discipleship. They are inwardly focused and concerned with nurturing healthy sheep. For this reason, they tend to be, appear more conservative, but they are the ring finger committed to the sheep, willing to lay down their life for them till death do them part. Your shepherd leader is the ones that are so loving. They're the ones that are, they absolutely care for the broken and the marginalized. They are the ones that you want sitting with you when you're hurting and in pain. You do not want the prophet with you when you're hurting and in pain. You want the shepherd with you. Teaching leaders are the pinky. They can pick out the poppy seeds of bad theology out of the hard to reach places. They don't want you ingesting that stuff. They are exact and delicate. Thank you very much. They spend time on the finer points of theology to create right thinking. Like Lloyd-Jones used to say, right thinking leads to right living. Right thinking leads to right living. Okay. In my last uh, pastorate, it took me a long time to build the right elder team. But you know how I knew I had the right group of guys? It's when they said this. They said, we are constantly fighting. I don't think we're the right group of guys. And I was like, bingo, I got it. I got it. This is exactly right. Why? Because I had each of the APES gifts there. They were represented. So here's what it would look like. I, I would have an issue that would come up. And um, my evangelist is like, look, we got to get this out more. Like, we got to spread the news. We, we got to get people here to, to understand this. We, we, what do we got to do to make that happen? Right? And, and my teacher was like, hey, look, that's fantastic, but I'm not sending anybody out there until they understand what they're doing because you're just going to make a giant mess and we're going to have to come and clean all it up. So I'm not sending anybody out until we know that they know what they're supposed to be talking about. And my shepherd was like, whoa, 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 stop. Slow your roll, guys. We haven't heard everybody's stories here. Do you know how many people are exhausted and tired and hurting? Like, I, there's a whole segment over here that, that they look outside like, man, there's something scary out there. We, we calm down. We need to love what we got. We, we, what are we going to do if we get more? We could even handle more right now. My prophet's like, look, people, we wouldn't have to worry about this if any of your people just took this seriously. If they actually loved God instead of just playing this, like this would be fine, right? This church would be healthy and mature, but no, you guys are all running around talking about your stuff. Here's the thing. They're all right. Every one of them was right. And what the problem was, they didn't understand they were looking at ministry through their one context, which was right. That's good. It's healthy. It's appropriate. Now, for the small A apostle, that's my job. The hard part is how do I help them to understand we've got to live in balance? Because the truth is we do need to help the lost come to see who Jesus is. And the truth is we do need to teach people how to do that well so they understand how to communicate who Jesus is. We can't just have you going out and, and teaching a moralistic gospel like, oh, do good. That's great. It has nothing to do with Jesus. But we do have people who are hurting and broken. And how do we love people on that journey along the way? That's an imperative for us. And the truth is that we can't just be talking about it. We actually have to live it. We do need that profit. But we have to, to make everybody not happy in that group and, and live in a balance of those things. I want you to think about something here for a moment. If you read the New Testament, if you search the New Testament, you can't find a single church led by one person. And yet somehow, most of our Western churches today are led by one guy. 
There's a bunch of churches that don't have elder boards. It's actually not even accountability. I can, I can name a bunch of them right now. I have no, no accountability. Your senior pastor is over all of them. The problem is that when we created this, we, we, we come to hear this person speak. It's great. But that's not the model of the Bible. A, this church should never be built on me. <laughs> what happens if I get taken out? Right? Then this was a cult of personality, not the body of Christ. And so we have to have a plurality of leadership. And I don't just mean our church. I mean the church in general because this is the model that, that Jesus did. Jesus sent people out in teams. Jesus sent people out in teams. Paul, after his second missionary journey, planted churches with two people or more from then on. I mean, what happens if you have a great teaching leader on Sunday but you're really hurting and you need a shepherd? Then I guess that church isn't for you. What happens if you have a great shepherd teacher, but he has no idea really truly how to evangelize? You have this small group because the church is then only the size of the ability of that guy to, to shepherd people. Look, the shepherd part of me wishes I could know and talk and hang out with every single one of you. I, I just can't. I don't have that capacity, that ability, right? But if it's built on me, then, then we'll only grow to that point, but it shouldn't be. There should be so many people in this church that are loving you and welcoming you that there's some of you I probably won't even meet for a while. I'd be like, how long have you been coming here? You'd be like, three years, Pastor. (laughs) I'm sorry, but you know what? That's awesome. That's awesome that you've been loved and cared for and shepherded and pastored by other people in this church because they're using their gifts and it's not about me. It shouldn't be. If you're only outward focused, you end up with shallow Christians who come to be entertained and they're not growing from healthy discipleship. We have to operate in a plurality of leadership so that our gifts combine to make a powerful fist for the building up of the church and the glory of God. We need all the gifts in leadership to model for you, not just how to serve, but how to use those gifts effectively and appropriately. We want to show you how to do that in your daily lives, right where Jesus placed you as a missionary because every single one of you are missionaries. Some of you remember one of my first sermons here was at Pickwick Gardens, and I, and I, I tricked you all. I said, uh, we got some special guests here today. They're missionaries to Los Angeles, and so would they stand up? Some of you remember this. And I said, uh, I said uh, they're, they're being shy, so I think they're just, why don't everybody stand up, and then that way they won't be shy. And then I looked around and said, now nah, you get it. You're all missionaries to Los Angeles, right? And that's the truth. The truth is that every one of us here is a missionary to the places that God has put us. And while we need the diversity of these gifts in our elders and pastors, we actually need all these gifts to be used throughout the church, not just in those pastoral roles. So I want to be clear. The APES gifts here are not just for pastors. The APES gifts here are for each and every one of you here. Some of you here have one of these gifts and need to use it. Now, towards the beginning of the message, I told you it was important to know and recognize these gifts in ourselves or others to use them to help others develop and know how to use them. And this is important because it's sometimes hard to see or recognize these gifts in ourselves. After all, it's just sort of what we do. It's kind of like the fish saying, what's, what's water? I don't know. I just, it's just what, it's what, I, it's what I live in, right? Well, those of you who use these gifts regularly probably don't even recognize this if you've never even thought about it. And so it's important for us to recognize these gifts in others so we can help them be aware of it. You see somebody that has this gift, talk to them about it. Ask if they're aware of the gift. Chances are they may not even know that that's their gift. And then 
Ask them how their gifts are being developed or used. If you think this might be your gift, do the same thing. Ask others to affirm this in you. It takes a lot of encouragement to be comfortable using the gifts that God's given us. But that's what family is all about. It's where we learn together. It's where we fail together. It's where we struggle together, where we rejoice together and where we grow together. That's what family's for. That's what church is for. Jesus is already our true and better apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, and teacher. He already cleared the path to follow by conquering sin and death and raising us from the dead. All we have to do now is keep our eyes on him (coughs) and faithfully follow his lead. (coughs) Excuse me. The Holy Spirit will walk right beside us and help us see him clearly. So what's next? If you have one of these gifts, come see one of the elders. Remember, if you have any problems with the sermon, my name is Josh. (laughs) Always bring complaints to me, Josh. At storycitychurch.com. There's always a list of resources on your notes page. If you didn't get notes coming in, you can grab it at the next step tables. But just so you know, there's always like going deeper sections there. You can always use those. But, uh, but you know, bringing this up, have this discussion in your missional community groups, in your DNA groups. This is really important. It'll help us to work through these things. Just like the discussion question today, the, the minutes mingle question today, you don't have to answer it all in the sermon today. It's meant to start the conversation, to spark something good and healthy. For the rest of us, pray that God would continue to allow us to have a healthy culture with a plurality of leadership here. That God would continue to bring in and raise up others with these gifts so we can continue making disciples and setting out church plants that further his kingdom for the mission. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are miraculous. You are amazing. You are good. I thank you that you, Lord, use us to accomplish your will, your plan it's incredible that this, these broken, jacked up people that we are, that, that you use us and incorporate us into who you are and what you're doing. God, it's, it's amazing. But more than that, you don't just leave us on our own. You give us gifts to do that well. That's incredible. Help us to understand what those are. Help us to know what our role is and how we live that out to the best of our ability. God, we love you with everything that we are. We thank you. Help us to know who you've called us to be and live in that well. In the name of Jesus, amen.